encourage you to take your Bible and turn with me there to Psalm 14. Psalm 14 will be our uh, scripture reading uh, tonight. Psalm 14. Encourage you to have your Bibles open as we consider this passage tonight. I remember once hearing a uh, a minister say something like this: uh, that the sound. He said, "This is the sound of a dying church." And then he closed the Bible like that. So don't do that. Um, when we come to worship, keep your Bible open because we want to see and hear what good things God has uh, for us uh, in his word. So Psalm 14, this is the ever living and abiding uh, word of the Lord. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There's none who does good. Not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father. Uh, We thank you that as we uh, close the Lord's Day together, we can do that in the best way we possibly can in the place of of worship, Uh, singing your praises, uh, seeking to know you better, uh, having your word before us uh, as we look towards a new year of service and ministry, uh, acts of love and mercy in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would feed us tonight on your word, that we would know you better and that we would love you more. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, uh, do you like your name? Do you like your name? And uh, do you know what your name, what your name means? Uh, Sometimes I wish my parents had given me another name uh, than Peter. You know, Peter means rock uh, or stone. That's good if you don't want to go anywhere and, you know, uh, think of yourself as sturdy. It's not very, you know, not very um, uh, soft. And loving, per se, to be a rock or a stone. Uh, why didn't they call me Kenneth or Bo or Alan or Bellamy or Memphis or something like that? Um, I guess it could be worse, though. Uh, at least Peter is a Bible name, has good meaning. Not all Bible names are equal, of course. Uh, listed among David's mighty men uh, is a son whose father lived in Bethlehem. Uh, his name uh, was Dodo. Dodo. Uh, Naomi, uh, or Noah's son, one of Noah's son was, uh, was Ham. Imagine all the jokes that he would have had to put up with, named Ham. Then, of course, there's Nimrod, which doesn't really need an explanation. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, there's the king of Moab. I don't know if you know anyone who's been named after the king of Moab, Eglon. 
And you can know how that conversation goes. Oh, you have the name Eglon. Yes, it's a Bible name. Well, what do we know about Eglon? Well, the Bible just says he was a very fat man. Oh, okay. Full of meaning um, that way. Uh, So it could be worse. I'm thankful for the name uh, Peter. And then, of course, uh, there is the name Nabal or Nabal. It appears in uh, 1 Samuel 25, Nabal, you may remember, is the, uh, uh, was the uh, husband of Abigail. Very rich man, described in 1 Samuel uh, 25. In fact, he's so rich, he had all sorts of sheep that were uh, taking up the land around Carmel. And uh, David, at the time, heard about this and uh, sent his servants uh, to uh, this man, Nabal, uh, in order to uh, ask Nabal if he would please uh, put up his, his, uh, his servants for a short time, maybe give them some food. And uh, in 1 Samuel 25, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Uh, that was his response to David. David ends up uh, deciding he's going to send an army against this man because that's not the right response uh, to to David. And uh, and one of his uh, one of the servants gets wind of what David's going to do and uh, warns uh, the wife of Nabal, Abigail, uh, before David sends his servants to him. Uh, Now, therefore, the servant said to Abigail this, know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man uh, that one cannot speak to him. This is this is Nabal. And the story goes on uh, to tell us, of course, of how uh, uh, Abigail, the faithful one, pleads with David not to not to do anything. And uh, this is what she says to David about her husband. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Please don't send your, don't, don't destroy us. And David doesn't, of course. But Psalm 14, in many ways, could be considered a commentary on the life of Nabal and Abigail. Because Nabal means, we're told in the scripture, it means fool. Folly. And uh, uh, you might recognize these words in Psalm 14. They appear again in Psalm 53, uh, almost exactly word for word. There's only one verse different in Psalm 53. But they also, of course, famously appear in Romans 3. As the Apostle Paul is describing uh, Jews and Gentiles the world over, he will actually use these words from Psalm 14, 2 and 3, that they've all turned aside. Uh, They have become corrupt. There's none who does good. Not even one. And so Paul uses this same psalm to describe all of humanity and, as a result, all of humanity's need uh, for the gospel. But this psalm appears then, these words appear several times in the scripture, which means uh, they're words that we need to pay attention to. And so uh, we want to think together tonight about the heart of a fool. What really does folly look like? Well, this passage helps us. First of all, uh, the heart of a fool is a heart that uh, is speaking lies to itself. This is what we find in verse 1. The fool uh, says uh, in his heart, uh, there is no God. Uh, The fool, uh, some have translated that word this way, the spiritually unprincipled person. 
Someone who has no spiritual principles uh, says this kind of thing. There is no God. Actually, there's no word. There's no there is there. It could be just the fool says in his heart, no God. No God. Uh, No God for me. That is his or her creed. We talked about that this morning in adult education, that everybody has some kind of confession. Everybody has some kind of creed. The Bible says the fool's creed is simply this. No God. No God uh, for me. And he says this in his heart. The word heart's used in the Bible about a thousand times, most used uh, for the inner self. I mentioned this book by Craig Troxell before, With All My Heart. Uh, And in that book, he says this about the heart. The scripture presents the heart not just as a unity, but also as a trinity of spiritual functions. The mind, the desires, and the will. To put it another way, the Bible says the heart includes what we know, our knowledge, thoughts, intentions, ideas, meditation, memory, imagination. It includes what we love, that is what we want and seek and feel and yearn for, and what we choose. Whether we'll resist or submit, whether we'll be weak or strong, whether we'll say yes or no. No other word, says Troxel, combines the complex interplay of intellect, sensibility, and will. It is the helm of the ship, the heart. Affects everything. So this person is saying in that, in that center of all that they are, uh, no God for me. It's the helm of the ship. So imagine being at the helm of an actual ship and, uh, and saying to yourself as you're at the helm of this ship, there's no sea, uh, there's no wind, uh, there's no destination, um, uh, there's no shore. Uh, I'm denying uh, the reality of everything around me. That is, the Bible says, the heart of a fool. Uh, there is no God. Not, mind you, that there actually is no God. But that he says to himself, she says to himself in her heart, that is secretly. So this person could be somebody who outwardly says, oh, no, I believe in God. But in the heart, you know, secretly is telling themselves always no God. So the fool, uh, biblically then, is the one who closes his eyes to truth, denying the existence of another person, because that's what. We will believe about God that he is a person. He is a personality. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you ever done that? Maybe someone in the church, maybe you've had a little tiff or something like that. You've had an argument and um, maybe a big argument. And uh, when you walk by somebody, you pretend as if they don't exist. You ever had that or ever had that happen to you? <laughs> uh, how does that feel when someone walks by you and you get the impression from them they don't, they're not even recognizing your existence? They're denying the reality of who you are. Every fool, uh, like every person alive, we're told here in Psalm 14, every fool alive, uh, every person alive is a theologian, that is, has a theology, that is, a belief about God. Everybody you meet, everybody you see. It's good theology or it's poor theology, but nonetheless it's theology. Uh, It's a belief about God. Romans 1, of course, makes clear to us uh, that the knowledge of God... Uh, no one uh, can escape. Uh, no one can escape the knowledge of God. We know that he is. This is what Romans 1, 18 says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is, they speak lies to themselves. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts uh, were, were darkened. Bible says this is the height of folly, not wisdom, but folly, that is to push God out of our thoughts, uh, to push God out of our education, to push God uh, out of our homes, to push God out of our governments, as if he does not exist. Uh, the Bible tells us, friends, men don't deny God uh, because there's no evidence of him. The Bible says all over the place, men deny God because they hate him. They don't want him. We don't want him in our natural hearts, in our thoughts. It's not that there's not enough evidence. We, we don't want him there. And so we deny him. And we're surrounded, of course, in our own country by folly and foolishness today. People suppressing the truth and speaking lies to themselves, refusing to have God uh, in their thoughts. They're speaking lies to themselves. And there's no greater lie than no God. Now, speaking a lie, of course, in the Psalter and in the Scripture, uh, always, of course, leads then to, uh, to living a lie. To living a lie. The fool says in his heart there's no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Drop down to verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good. Uh, not uh, even one. So these lies that uh, man speaks to themselves in their heart uh, has an effect uh, in their living. Speaking a lie leads to living the lie in the heart of a fool. Now, Paul will use, as we mentioned, these words in Romans 3 uh, in the context uh, of discussing uh, all of humanity. So in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 9. Paul says this, what then? Are we Jews any better off, any better off than Gentiles who don't know the Lord? He says, no, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And then he quotes from uh, this psalm and other psalms and other passages. And then he sums it up this way. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that, so why am I saying this, says Paul? Why am I quoting from Psalm 14? So that every mouth, he says... So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world, not just Gentiles, Jews too, that the whole world may be held accountable uh, to, to God. Everyone is accountable to God for this state of affairs Psalm 14 is describing and the Bible says we are without Excuse. Now, friends, the sad reality, of course, is that Paul in Romans 3 is applying to all humanity, including you, you're part of humanity, uh, all humanity and me, apart from Jesus, 
He's attributing to them words of Scripture which describe here in Psalm 14 the heart and life of the height of foolishness, the height of folly. That's you apart from Jesus. That's me apart from Jesus. Now this, you would agree, I think, this is not, uh, not seeker-sensitive evangelism. That is, um, if your main concern in your Christian life and witness is to not hurt someone's feelings or to lower someone's self-esteem, you're going to be a denier of the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, which starts with the bad news of our sinful nature and absolute foolishness apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Corrupt, says Psalm 14, all turned aside, doing abominable deeds. Not even one does good. Now, this was Nabal, husband of Abigail. If you read through that later tonight, 1 Samuel 25, uh, he was a fool, answering foolishly, doing foolish things. Um, eventually, he dies. Um, but notice here in Psalm 14, notice the universal uh, language, right? Verse 1, there's none who does good. Verse 2, to see if there are any who understand. Verse 3, they have all turned aside. Uh, together, they become corrupt. There's none who does good, uh, not even one. Now, this past week, if you were listening to the news, you probably heard the news that the uh, I think what's called the Jeffrey Epstein files uh, were released this past week. Uh, which is simply, uh, Jeffrey Epstein is in prison, involved in all sorts of immoral behavior. And uh, so a list was released this last week of big names that, were, uh, that are associated with this man. Not good to be on that list. People were fearful, no doubt, of who would be revealed on that list. And we look at that list and think, oh, you know, there's another list. <laughs> it's not the Epstein files. It's the list of God. And the Bible says, you all and me all are on it, apart from Christ. And it's a much more serious list because it's the list of God who holds us accountable for all our sins. And you see, that's the thing, we're all, we're all on this list. This is what we call in theology uh, total and universal depravity, that all of us, not one, does good. Nowhere is this better summarized than in one of, our, uh, one of the Reformed uh, confessions called the Canons of Dort, describing, uh, the heading is this, the effect of the fall on human nature. What has that done to us apart from Christ? says this, man was originally created in the image of God, was furnished in his mind with a true and salutary, that's a blessed, knowledge of his creator and things spiritual, in his will and heart with righteousness, and in all his emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole man was holy when we were made. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by his own free will, he, that's man, Deprived himself of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, he brought upon himself blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in his mind. Perversity, defiance, and hardness in his heart and will. And finally, impurity in all his emotions. Therefore, 
All people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they're neither willing nor able to return to God, to reform their distorted nature, or even to dispose themselves, even to lean in the direction of reform. This is what Psalm 14 is describing. He's like, oh, no one does good. Not even one. Now, how can that, how can that be? What about helping an elderly lady across the street? Surely that's good. What about caring for the environment or, you know, all these scientists, unbelieving scientists who work in research labs trying to help fight cancer? Is that not good? Well, it's good for man. It, it seems good. But this is what we confess about good works in our confession of faith. Works done by unregenerate men. So people who are not regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Although for the matter of them, they may be things which God commands. So unbelievers do, outwardly do things that are commanded in the Bible. They don't commit adultery. At least physically. Um, that, that's good. And it might be of good use both to themselves and others. It's good not to kill your neighbor. It's good not to steal from your neighbor. You're, uh, that's good for society. Yet, this is what we believe, because they proceed, that is, whatever they do, because it proceeds not from a heart purified by faith. So the source is wrong. It's not, you're not doing things out of faith and belief in God. Nor are they done in a right manner, that is, according to the word of God nor to a right end, the glory of God. They might do an outwardly good thing, but they're not helping that lady across the street for the glory of God, which is the only way we should be doing things, by faith. They are therefore, this is what we confess, they are therefore sinful. Cannot please God. Or make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. So for a work to be good... It's got to come from faith, it's got to be according to the word, and it's got to be in his glory. That's good. That's pleasing to God based on faith, right? For his, for his glory. Here Psalm 14 says, All corrupt in mind, heart, and will, our whole being affected and tainted by sin, said Luther, even my repenting needs to be repented of. We are stained with sin. Think of milk souring, um, you know, let's say you've got a, a big glass of sour milk, right? And you can't say to yourself, well, maybe if I get to that milk down at the bottom, it'll taste okay. No, it's the whole, uh, it's the whole thing. We are used to scrub from the Chronicles of Narnia, transformed into a scaly dragon. We are those described before the flood when the Lord said all he uh, perceived in the thoughts and the heart and intentions of men were only evil all the time. And then there's a huge flood and, and sin and wickedness is washed away. And then after the flood, God promises, I'm never going to send a flood again. Why not? Because the hearts of men are evil all the time. The flood did not, did not cure the problem of evil, corrupt hearts. Still there. And so God says, well, I'm not going to flood the earth again or else I'd have to be flooding the earth every day. I'm not going to do that. There will be seed time. There will be harvest. There's a Savior coming. This is where the lie, no God, leads. This kind of 
life. Fill your mind and heart with lies about the reality of God. And the psalmist says, so shall you live. Abominable deeds. We're talking about this too this morning. I think Pastor Andrew is mentioning this. The Bible talks about the sin of homosexuality as an abomination to God. You say, oh, that's a really bad sin. That's an abomination to God. You know, the Bible says all sinners commit abominations before God apart from Christ, apart from a new heart, doing, doing abominable things. You see, we're all in the same we're all in the same boat. You see, there's no exceptions. All, not one, on our own, seeks God. And when people believe there's no God and there's no difference between men and beasts, we shouldn't be surprised if men act like beasts. This is why it's so important to, uh, to for our precious covenant children. They need to be taught. <laughs> Instead of that there's any kind of area in life, science, history, spelling, whatever it is, instead of teaching them that, you know, here's an area of life where you can go to school, no God. Why would we do that? We need to make sure that our children, uh, whether in a Christian school or homeschool, wherever it is, uh, that we're not feeding them lies. Because if you feed your children lies, they will live the lie. And make, make no mistake... About it. We need to stuff our minds with truth and what's beautiful and excellent. And to believe the lie that there's no God is not excellent. It's not praiseworthy. And it leads to living the lie. When was the last time you went to a garbage dump to shop for clothes? People don't do that. When was the last time you looked for bananas uh, on a poison ivy plant? You don't do that. Don't look for good. Uh, in a life living the lie, no God. Well, of course, speaking a lie leads to living a lie. Uh, but also we find in this psalm the exposing of the lie. The Lord, verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Verse 4, have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. They are in there. They are in great terror for God is with the generation of the righteous. Now, if there was a possibility that somehow the fool was right, that is, no God, uh, that possibility is immediately uh, stamped out and answered as a lie uh, and exposed in verse 2. Because the Bible says the Lord, Yahweh, looks down or carefully, carefully scrutinizes, we could translate it that way, carefully scrutinizes from heaven. So whatever we're telling ourselves in our heart down here, the Bible says the Lord himself uh, looks down from heaven. Yes, he's there, as Francis Schaeffer famously put it, and he's not silent. He's there, he acts, he sees, he looks, he knows. And he's with, the Bible says, the generation of the righteous. And this is what he's doing. He's looking to see, Psalm 14 says, he's looking to see if any understand, if there's any who seek after God, if there's any who call upon God. And the psalmist with the Apostle Paul later in Romans 3 will say, no. No. No seeking. No longing. No desiring. And no exceptions. 
Don't miss this. We do not seek God. God seeks us. Man does not call upon the Lord out of our own accord, but the Lord calls to us, even as he called Abram out of the land of Ur. Why do we not seek God or call upon the Lord? Because we think we can manage fine without him. Now you expect that of the world, but in the church. And that's what is the scandal, of course, the Apostle Paul. And in Romans 3 he said, you think we Jews are any better? I'm not talking here, he says in Romans 3, about the Gentiles simply. The whole world accountable to God. You too. Now, of course, the psalm itself came to the Jews. It would have been news to them that they did not seek God in their own heart, in their own sinful nature, you see. Ah. We think we can manage fine without Him. You ever wonder why are, I do, uh, I'm sure you do too, why are worship services and prayer meetings and Bible studies poorly attended Well, we know the world doesn't want to come. They don't know Jesus. But why are these opportunities to glorify God, to know him better, uh, neglected by those who profess to believe? It is not rocket science. Uh, We believe we can manage without them. Worship and prayer in his word. Um, We believe we can manage without them and without him. We may profess him as Lord, but our life, says Psalm 14, our life will either confirm or deny what we say. We can say there is a God and we can have a wonderful confession of faith. But by my life, I might be saying no God. No God for me. We can say there's a God, but then live as if we agreed with the fool. Wisdom, alternatively, would mean seeking after God, seeking to know Him better. The reality is, this psalm says, He is with the generation of the righteous. Now, this seems a little odd, don't you think? Verse 4 says, Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation. Uh, of the righteous. And you might be saying to yourself, well, wait a minute. If, uh, if there's none who do good, if no one seeks God, not even one, where does my people come from? Or where do the uh, righteous come from? <laughs> well, I guess if, if, no, if we don't seek God, And if we don't uh, pursue him, and if we do abominable things, the only way that a people who are lost can become my people, or a people who are not seeking God can become righteous, is if God makes them so. Right in the middle of this psalm, we have a reminder of, of grace, you see. Oh, he will have a people. He will have uh, a righteous people. The question is, How do they become righteous? And how do they become his people when when this is how they're born? You see. 
talks here about great terror. Uh, you see, these people who hate God uh, also afflict God's people, as we heard in prayer earlier tonight with a skin bear in Africa. When we're constantly reminded, you know, talks here about how they try to shame the plans of the poor. Um, they eat up my people as they eat bread. Those who don't know God go after the people of God. Again, it's constantly, you know, I get this email each week about uh, updates on, on uh, lawsuits and things like that. And you've got, you've got this poor lady in Kentucky who, who didn't want to sign a, a marriage certificate for, for, for a, a homosexual couple. Just this past week, the government ruled she's got to pay another $260,000 on top of the $100,000 she had to pay. This county clerk in Kentucky, what are they doing? Well, trying to shame her, trying to destroy her financially, trying to destroy her emotionally. you got this Ken Baker in Colorado, Jack Phillips, who's been to the Supreme Court back and forth since 2017. Uh, what, what could be left of his finances or something like that? Just trying to shame him for standing for Christ. And then, of course, you have militant Muslims in Africa. And we hear these words about those who eat up the people of God as if they were bread. That is, destroy them. And that happens. And that happens. But here the Bible says, there, they, that is, those folks, are in great terror. The Bible says no more. It just says this, there, these folks, they're in great terror, um, for God is with the generation of the righteous. In other words, those who are without God, nonetheless, there's some kind of sense of dread here. Because even though they push down, suppress the truth, at the end of the day, even those who deny God can't fully deny him, can't fully suppress the truth that he's there, and can't fully suppress the truth that in their persecution of Christians, there is yet a God to whom they will have to be accountable. And there is, there is great terror there. There's still dread there. Because every once in a while, that conscience springs up. And they're reminded that there's a God with whom they have to do. And so speaking a lie leads to living a lie, but there's the exposing of the lie. No, God's there and, and he speaks. And then, of course, finally, quickly, there's an answer to the lie. There's an answer to the fool. The answer to verse 1, of course, is found in verse uh, 7. Because whereas the heart of the fool is the lie, no God, no God for me, and I'm going to live like it. The heart of the wise knows that salvation uh, is of the Lord. Verse 7, oh, that salvation for Israel, you know, in light of the truths of these verses we've just been meditating on. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. What man needs is not the lie, the psalmist says here. But salvation, a man who is corrupt, the psalm tells us, a man who is doing abominable things, not good, not seeking after God, having turned aside, no knowledge, no calling upon the Lord, filled with fear despite his attempts to suppress the truth. What that man needs is not to try harder or work harder or to trust more in himself. What that man needs is salvation. Oh, that salvation would come. Because if the Lord looks down from heaven and there's not one good, not even one, 
Oh, that salvation would come. What that woman needs, what that man needs, what that teenager needs, says this psalm, is to come to the end of themselves, see the tendencies of their own heart, their own foolish heart, living as if there was no God. Need to come to that point, the psalmist says, and cry out to God with the psalmist, Oh, that salvation would come when the Lord would restore the fortunes of His people. That's the only way that there can be a my people. God has to do something. It's the only way there can be righteous people. God has to make them righteous. They're not righteous, clearly, in themselves. Have you been there? Have you been there? you ever been at that point? Remember, there's no exceptions here, the Bible says. There's not even one. Not even in this room. In their own strength, who does good. Not even one in this room, who on their own seeks God. Not even one in this room, on their own, who understands. So how can any of us understand, oh, that, well, that salvation would come. That the Lord would come. That the Lord would redeem. And of course, the blessed message of the gospel is that that salvation has come. Psalmist writes in Psalm 50, Call upon me, the Lord says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. How are we delivered, friends? Well, salvation has come out of Zion. Son of Abraham, son of David, David's greater son, the greater Moses, our prophet, priest, and king. Salvation has come. Uh, His name is Jesus, and he came to do what the law could not do, that is, cleanse us from all our sin, and from all our corruption, and from all those abominable things that come out of our heart, Jesus says, apart from the work of God's grace. He has come. He's come. He's become to us, Paul writes in Corinthians, he's become to us wisdom from God. We don't want to be fools who deny the reality of God and His glory. We want to be wise. How does that happen? It comes in Jesus. Jesus has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And instead of being a fool and having the name Nabal, uh, Jesus promises you and Uh, And every believer in the Lord Jesus, something else, it's described this way in Revelation 2, 17, uh, to the church in Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows. That no one knows except the one who receives it, you see. To him who conquers. Faith in Jesus. Jesus comes. Gives us a new name. Not Nabal. Not foolish. uh, But we will bear the name he gives us. And we will bear his image forever. So we may say in our hearts, not know God. uh, But instead, salvation comes 
from the Lord. What are you telling yourself today? What are you telling yourself as you go out uh, into this into this week in every facet of your life? Uh, you might be professing something with your lips, but what are you telling your heart within? Well, may we be telling ourselves salvation comes from the Lord. May it be true. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song. Lord, it's uh, difficult for us. Lord, how we uh, uh, can, can see the, the lostness uh, that is ours apart from Jesus. Oh, Lord, we don't want to be there. We thank you that salvation has come in the person of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we know that part of the glory of the gospel is seen uh, from where you have taken us. Lost sinners, helpless in ourselves. So Lord, if we haven't seen ourselves there yet, I pray that we would, so that we would, with the psalmist, cry out, oh, that salvation would come from the only one it could come from. That we would truly be your people. Righteous in Christ alone, putting our faith in in him. Help us to see his glory even today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Pray it in Jesus' name.